The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Welcome to today's edition of Exploring the Word. Bert Harper and I are going to continue in the book of Acts, maybe kind of wrap it up even today, but we've been studying the New Testament book of Acts for a number of weeks. And you know, the story of the gospel, Paul being willing to really lay his life on the line for the spread of the gospel, you and I are the beneficiaries of that today. The good news story of how God sent his son to lay down his life to give us salvation. And you know, Bert, um, I shared a story last week that I had read in Our Daily Bread, I believe it was, and it was a beautiful story, and we've had a number of people that have asked me about that story, but basically there was a child that was adopted, and she'd always wanted to go to Disney World, and she'd never gotten to do that, and even though she was adopted into a family, she didn't think that she would get to go like the other children, and so as it got closer and closer for the family to make a trip to Disneyland, she kind of acted out and was was misbehaving, and then they, the dad at first thought, well, I'm just not going to take her. And then he thought, no, um, I'm not going to punish her. Um, she'll have a good time. And they got back, and she wept and wept. And she said, I thought the trip to Disneyland was just for your natural-born children, and I wouldn't get to go because I was adopted. And the dad said, honey, when I adopted you, you became one of my natural-born children. Like all the rest, you've got all the the rights and privileges because adopted into our family you've got the same standing as any family member and the point is in the gospel as a born-again child of God you are heirs of the kingdom your sins are washed away and so several have responded to that story and I'm going to take a picture of it and I'll put it up on the Exploring the Word Facebook page it'll take me a day or so but Bert the reality of the gospel that we are God's adopted children, grafted into the vine, made a part of his family through faith in Jesus. Uh, That is the greatest story ever told, isn't it? It is. And Jesus came, someone said, the greatest story ever told comes about by the greatest rescue mission ever, ever event ever happened. When Jesus came to rescue us from our sin, he did that with his life, death, burial and resurrection and he's seated at the right hand of the father making intercession for those of us who have come to him and like you said in that story uh when the accuser satan comes to accuse against us jesus says to the father no they've been adopted he or she is one of mine and so praise the lord for that standing and we find paul standing in that again and again He is before King Agrippa. He gives his testimony in chapter 26 of the book of Acts. And at the end, it comes to the point where Paul, they say, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. That's in (laughs) verse 24. Paul says, I'm not mad. And then he corners King Agrippa and says, do you not believe these things? And then this famous, famous response again, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul Mm. responds, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today 
might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Alex, we may have people out there almost persuaded. I pray they would come all the way like Paul, not just almost, but completely. And so Paul, Agrippa, and Festus, they talk about it, and they say, we haven't found anything worthy of death or imprisonment, and says, we, would, we probably would have let him go had he not appealed to Caesar, but now chapter 27 is his road to Rome. He thought the church at Antioch would probably have to pay it, but now the Roman government's paying it, kind of like Moses uh, in Egypt when his mama uh, was able to be selected to raise him and get paid for it. So here's the Roman government giving Paul passage to Rome. So, Alex, God does all things well, doesn't he? Well, he really does. He really does. And as we wrap up 26, uh, let me um, comment on something. C.S. Lewis once, uh, a book of his essays was called God in the Dock, D-O-C-K, as in the docket, the witness stand in the courtroom where the accused goes to defend themselves. And C.S. Lewis said, you know, in a way, skeptical man thinks God has no excuse, but in a way, God is true and real, and it's man before God who really has no excuse. But here, this is an interesting thing. When they said in verse 24, you know, Paul, you're out of your mind. Uh, All this learning has driven you insane. And the word insane in the English, really in the original languages, is the word for maniac or maniacal. You're, you're a maniac. And to this day, people call us, you know, um, right-wingers and, you know, Bible thumpers and things like that. But in verse 25 of Acts chapter 26, Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Now, it's interesting. The word true there means reality, that which corresponds to reality. Think about that. In uh, what's really true is what's really real. And it is true that God has acted and sent his son. But the word translated reasonable. Bert, I I love this word. Paul says, what I'm preaching to you, Jesus, the risen Savior, and through whom you may be converted through faith. It is true. Yes, it really happened, the resurrection. And it is reasonable. In fact, and we won't do it here, but if we were to talk about all the other worldviews, whether it be atheism or hedonism or or progressive Marxism, it's really those worldviews that are unreasonable and don't add up to all the evidence. Sometimes in the original language, the word translated reasonable, Paul says, what I'm telling you is true and reasonable. Bert, the word for reasonable is really the word for sobriety. It is sober. All that to say this, to live your life in rejection of God or to say, you know, I'll just do my thing and uh, I'll let the chips fall where they may. To reject the gospel that the Lord offers to you, the implication of this is it's the opposite of sobriety, almost drunkenness. Bad judgment. You know, that whole thing of sobriety is judgment. And when you look at this fair-minded, fair-minded, you'll yes. find it to be true. You'll find it to be reasonable. And, and yes, it does. It, there's some issues there that, that you have to deal with. But, again, 
It's not faith in faith like some people want to call it. It is faith in the truth, and that's what it says here. You know, true, it is, and it's based on that. And so all the others are not based on that. All the worldviews, they're distorted. Have you mm-hmm. noticed them saying follow the science? But they won't say that about everything. They only say follow the science on the things that they think they want. In other words, they're trying to maneuver science to say to the world what they want it to say. That's the way it is, honestly, with evolution. That is not the teaching of it. That is what they want it to say, a, a, a life without God that it started. And so here, but creation redemption of Christ, those two things, and that's the two major themes in the Bible. Those are reasonable the way the Bible presents it, and they are truth, and I pray you'd trust that today. Alex, chapter 27, notice what happens here, and we're going to do this relatively quick. We're going to hit the high spots, but it's worth it, and they're good, but notice what happens in verse 21, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, I found that interested. We Guess who's with Paul on this journey? It's not Barnabas this time. Uh, It doesn't seem like Silas is with him this time, but Luke is there. And I could not help but remember when he ends his uh, life, close to ending his life in 2 Timothy, Luke is with him. But let me state this and give a time frame. He has spent two years in Caesarea, and now he's going to spend quite a few weeks here. It's hard to add them all up completely. But he's going to uh, spend a few weeks here in a boat and on shore and waiting and then waiting and then. But finally, they get to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he's going to spend two years there. So we're going to have this four, close to four and a half years, Alex, four and a quarter years of Paul's life has been spent dealing with this issue of him being mistreating the temple and the law. But God uses it for good, doesn't he? He really does. He really does. And, you know, really, Acts is a setup for chapter 28, Acts 27. Almost in its entirety, Acts 27 is the preface for Acts 28, really, isn't it? It is. And notice, if you have a journey, and I did this with my Bible. I looked over in the back, maps, you know, and uh, you can follow that journey with Paul as you read the chapter 27, it'll make it even more clear as you see how they went below Crete, how they docked here, and then they sail, and happenstance to land in Malta. And that's mm-hmm. that's exactly what happens. But here's the promise of it. Uh, they, they It's bad weather. They're sailing a little later than they should have, you know, yeah. but they yeah. were desperate to get there, and they make a change in a ship, and they get on another ship. This ship is probably you know, a grain ship or a big, it's not easy to maneuver. You figure that out as they're trying to go into dock. But God is in control. And let me say this, and you take it away and finish it up, this, this section, if you want to. Paul is a much more reliable source on what to do than the experts of, of knowing how to sail. Paul's the one that's right, and they're all wrong. Well, indeed, indeed. And you know what? I love in verse 8, uh, the place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. They're, they're going down the coast. It says much time has been lost, and sailing was dangerous. Um, it was after the Day of Atonement. 
And so it's bad weather, uh, the time of year it is, and it's going to be a disastrous voyage, and they uh, go and they're looking for a place to land. You've heard that old phrase, any port in a storm. Well, they're trying to find a, a port. But, you know, in verse 8 where it says we came to a certain place called Fair Havens, to which was near the city of Lycia. I've I've seen in all my travels around the country, Bert, uh, quite a number of places named Fair Havens, and that's just such a, a good name. And if you see a, a town of Fair Havens, well, that's something else that comes to us from the Word of God. But they get into a storm, and a hurricane storm, and they're going to have a shipwreck, and it says the storm is battering the boat, and they're th- they're jettisoning cargo, throwing things over. Um, I've always thought about verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That would cause you to lose hope, wouldn't it? To be in a storm for so many days, you couldn't see the sun or the stars. It is true. I just got to mention this passage, verse 20, yeah, 21. Yes. When, when they, everything started going, it says, you, Paul says, you should have listened to me. Now, I think Paul's a good that, preacher. It is, but I think <laughs> he says that in view of what's going to happen, and he has something else to say. They listen to him after that, you know, and he's building his credibility. So when the crunch time really happens, he has a voice, and he's speaking with authority. That's and what you listen. want to do in your life. In those smaller times, you prepare for the biggest times of your life that people can hear you speak truth in Christ. Hey, we're going to be right back after this break, and we're going to continue in the book of Acts. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Ann McAndrew, Chief Financial Officer in the Comptroller Office of the Undersecretary of Defense. She oversees our nation's $700 billion defense budget. 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us of the importance of being a good steward of resources. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask you to guide Anne McAndrew in her role at the Department of Defense. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Enrich your prayer life and pray for America and our leaders with our daily National Leadership Prayer Journal. Get yours now at pausetopray.org. Anybody who's ever received a gift in the mail knows that even though the post office delivered it, somebody else sent it. But Dr. Tony Evans says we seem to forget how that works when the gift comes from God. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. The grocery store is not your source. It is merely a distribution channel so you can pick up something that has come from another source. Every piece of fruit, Every piece of vegetable that you get at the grocery store is only because it was farmed. And it could only be farmed because there was seed. But seed could only grow because it was planted. It could only be planted because there was soil. But it could only grow because there was sun and rain. No sun, no rain, no seed, no soil, no fruits, no vegetables. 
God doesn't want you getting excited about a channel where you can go buy it and not the source that gave it to you in the first place so you could go get it. He says, I want to be recognized as your source, but I don't just want to hear it from your lips. I want to see it with your life. That is the recognition that I am your provider. That's why even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, it says, when you come to worship God on the first day of the week, you are to bring your offering. Why? Because it was tied to whether you were worshiping God or not. So the tithe or the first fruits was the way that you let God know you knew he was your source. For an in-depth, practical look at what it really means to put the Lord first, ask for details on Tony's teaching series, Restoring God to His Rightful Place, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire. Paul is telling those people, stay with the ship. Don't you get off and They've got an escape ship. They call it a skiff, and they're going to lower it, and some of them are going to get off. And Paul said, kind of a lifeboat. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Don't you dare, or all the promises that God's made to you is going to come short. And the centurion believes that. Uh, his name was it's Julius, and again, he says, no way you're going to get off this ship. We're going to stay with it. Now, Alex, I just got to mention this real quickly. Here's another centurion, and every time in the New Testament we find a centurion mentioned, it is positive of what they do, and, it, it and is, this is another it? one. Well, exactly. Centurions are a positive uh, image in the New Testament. They really are, but, uh, and so these are people outside the covenant family of God, too. These are non-Jews, but yet centurions. And it tells us a couple of things, that God had revealed himself to non-Jews and that they were capable of responding to the, to the overtures of the Holy Spirit. But Paul really uh, kind of prophesies here because he says, listen, uh, keep up your courage. Not a one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong. See, verse 23, in a way, is his evangelistic awareness. Uh, he has the living God in him, and they, they need to know this living God. But Paul says, uh, a messenger of the God to whom I belong, an angel, stood beside me, said, do not be afraid. Paul, you will stand trial before Caesar. God has graciously given all the lives who sail with you. So don't be afraid. It's going to happen just like God told me. Some said, nope, run the ship aground. But Paul prophesied they were all going to make it, and indeed they were, weren't they? They did, and because of that, it gave him even more authority. His credibility is growing at each event of crisis. I, I just got to say this. This is what you want to do in your life as a man, as a woman. You want your credibility 
to rise in what you say, not discrediting you, but credit to you, that you stand strong, you speak truth. There's a a joy and even a calmness, or I, I would say a peace that passes all understanding in some of the most critical times of your life. I don't mean that you're not real. I don't mean that it's not difficult and hard, but you stand strong, you trust God, and I want to tell you, that means when the time and the crunch time comes, guess what people are going to do? They're going to look for that stable person that has Mm -hmm. been there and gone through that and now has a word. Paul has built that credibility, and verse 37 says, and in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. And Alex, that's how many were there, and that's how many they thought they would have lost. That's how many at least, except for Paul, I believe with all my heart, 200 and them would, 75 would have died if they had not obeyed that and done that. But their lives were saved because of Paul's obedience and Paul's message of hope in Christ Jesus. That's right. And, you know, they all swam ashore on boards and planks and anything that might float. And it says everyone reached the land safely. And, um, my goodness, they, they had been out there at sea for two weeks. And Paul, Paul was wise, not only was uh, confident, made them eat. They even, to lighten the ship further, uh, threw some grain into the sea, uh, verse 38, but all 276 people survived, and and that in itself was miraculous. Now, I've always loved Acts 28, and folks, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, oftentimes called the Acts of the Apostles. We've been studying kind of the history book and the memoirs of the early church, and just think what's gone on. I mean, in uh, Acts chapter 1, we've got the ascension of Christ and in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost and Peter preaching. By Acts chapter 28, uh, the gospel is well structured and the church built to take the, the message of Jesus to the entire globe throughout the centuries, and here we are. Uh, it's in, been, in, by the way, Alex, it's been a lot, about 32 years since yep. Pentecost. And that's right. So that's what we're building on, chapter 28, 32 years later. Uh, that's just I mean, that's what we've covered in the book of Acts. You were going over all that? That's yes. the time frame. Exactly. Uh, three decades here. And the message of salvation that will be perpetuated until Christ returns even is is the foundation is laid. Now, we're going to cover Acts 28 here. But I would say, Bert, we, the church, and if you're a believer, regardless of where you go to church, your denomination, but you're a believer in Jesus, you're a born-again Christian, you are part of the church. I would say the church is Acts chapter 29, if you will. <laughs> uh, we, we're in Acts chapter 29, even though this, this book of God's Word will end here with chapter 28, we're living out Chapter 29, am I right? You are, and and we're going to do something. I don't know if you're supposed to do it, but I'm going to look at the last few verses and then come back and see what it does. Notice verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which are concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, 
no one forbidding him. Someone mm. says no one hindering him, an unhindered gospel. And Amen. this is what the result is, and that sets up that Acts chapter 29, an unhindered gospel as it would go out. Now, it had started in Jerusalem, and now Paul is in Rome, Alex. And in that 30 years, it had spread and caught fire, turned the world upside down, and it's because of, of the missionary effort. Remember, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch, those two churches changed the world. They did. They really did. And, you know, things are going to be, uh, things are going to get rough. Under Nero, Paul is going to be imprisoned and ultimately martyred. But for a couple of years here, and this might be 62 to 64 or 65 A.D., he's proclaiming the gospel without, without hindrance. I've always, Bert, I remember as a brand-new believer, I'm re, I read the New Testament all the way through, and I, I just marveled at Acts chapter 28. Once safely on the shore, we found that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire, welcomed us because it was raining and it was cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand, fastened itself on his hand. I mean, um, see, I would have died right there of a heart attack. Uh, the poison, like the poison would have had time to take hold, huh? You would have, a heart attack would have taken care of it. Yeah, <laughs> it is so funny. Okay, here's the Apostle Paul, and by the way, kudos to Paul. He's the preacher. He's an evangelist, but he's helping get firewood. He's helping with the work. But anyway, uh, they start this bonfire, and a snake comes out because it's hot, and snake bites on Paul's hand. Okay, verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from Paul's hand, they said to each other, quote, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live, because there's a snake hanging off of his hand. But, verse 5, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, you know, snake bite. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to Paul, they changed their minds and said, said he was a god. <laughs> well, I mean, that's from one string. He's a murderer. This man's he's a, a god. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like Paul says, no, 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 wait, wait. Look, it's neither one of those. I'm, I'm a saved follower of Jesus. I'm going to tell you who God is. That, it, it's a little humorous, I guess, to our reading right now, but that's almost like the world. Christianity is just a myth. No, it isn't. Uh, Christianity, you must think you're going to heaven because you've worked out, outworked anybody else. No, it's by God's grace. So often, the simplicity of the love of God, people miss, don't they? They do. And I, again, I, I do see humor. That's just my uh, mentality, and if it offends folks, I'm sorry, but they're sitting around watching Paul waiting for him to die. Yeah. You know, the, the, notice the term, and after they had looked for a long time, I mean, they were just waiting. When's it going to happen? And it never happened, and that's when he went from murderer to a god, and again, uh, that had happened before with, with Paul, so he knew what to do. He said, no, 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 I'm the follower of Christ. But notice what happens. When this happens, they bring him 
to a citizen of that island, a leading citizen of that island, who had dysentery fever. They think it was some his name, his father, the guy's name was Publius. And 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 again, Paul went in to him, prayed for him, laid hands on him, and healed him. When they saw that, guess what they did? They brought every sick person they could find on the island of Malta, and he they were they were saved from their diseases and they were healed. Now what happens in verse ten? They also mm-hmm. honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Luke is still with him. Man, Luke doesn't desert him. I, I just love that, and I know I know I've said that again and again. But notice the term, they honored us in many ways. He came there on a shipwreck, and and he became a missionary, Alex, right there. He, he never lost his missional purpose, did he? No, he really didn't. He really didn't. And, you know, God in his providence provided for them, and they were there. And uh, Paul ministers, he prays. Uh, verse 10, they honored us in many ways and furnished with supplies it's just amazing i mean one day they're out in the sea about to drown in a storm the next day they're well fed and under somebody's roof being provided for i've seen that happen i'm sure you have too yes says uh so they they uh had wintered on the island they three months later set sail and uh arrive at uh, Regium, and by the way, all of these towns, so many uh, localities that are mentioned, so many details. Again, that speaks to the meticulous, absolutely thorough nature by which Luke recorded all of this. But they sail and they eventually come to Rome. Brothers and sisters heard we were coming, and they traveled a long way to come see, and uh, that it's a great reunion. They get to Rome. Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier. So while Paul is under house arrest, uh, it, it is a, a, a pretty, if you can say it's a, a comfortable state of incarceration, isn't it? Bert? It is. It is. And we'll talk about what he did. It wasn't a lost time. He wrote Philippians from there, others that he wrote from there. Uh, so it was a good time. But look back, if you would, Alex, I want you to. This really encouraged me, and I I didn't want to miss it. Verse 15, they came to the three ends and everything. When Paul saw them, you're talking about them coming out to meet him, it says he, Paul, saw them. He thanked God and took courage. Amen. He had shown that courageousness, but and, and he was reminded God had appeared to him as an angel and said, you're going to do okay. And now God uses other people to encourage him. God gave him the encouragement and the kind of encouragement when he needed at strategic times. Many times it was God himself. Sometimes it was an angel. But here it's the people that came out. And I, I be that kind of a person. Be an encourager. Yes. Take time to, to greet people, to even put yourself out of your comfort zone to go and encourage them. I'm not sure they knew what they were doing for, for, for Paul, but Luke sure did. You know, Luke had been with him. He could read him. And when he saw Paul greet them, he could tell it gave him great encouragement. Uh, mm-hmm. Be that kind of person. Uh, Alex, I want to be that kind of person. 
Well, amen, amen. And, you know, ever the evangelist, the preacher, the teacher, Paul uh, says, hey, now would be a pretty good time for a sermon from Isaiah chapter 6. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they, they come to see Paul, uh, large numbers of people. He witnessed to them from morning to evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, the law of Moses and the prophets. Uh, and tried to persuade them about Jesus, verse 24. Uh, you know what? Maybe that would be a great epitaph for any preacher on his headstone. He tried to persuade them about Jesus, Acts 28, 23. But here's the thing. Um, one of the unique things about the message, and Paul preaches about uh, having ears but not hearing, eyes but not seeing, and so he says God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Yep. Okay. Two amazing things about Acts 28, Paul's message here. All right, for one thing, the door of salvation has been offered to the Gentiles. That, for many of the listeners, that would have been really revelatory to know that Gentiles could be in the covenant of salvation with God. But the other thing, notice this, that Paul preaches about, quote, the kingdom of God. And do you know what, Bert, a lot of scholars, we, we think, you know, what is unique about the gospel? Well, the empty tomb, Jesus, salvation by faith. But one of the unique things, and we, we will have to take time to do it justice, the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom over the world is coming. You may be a subject of the kingdom because you've got a relationship with the king. That message okay. is very unique. That is what's important about the kingdom is the king. He's the one. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what he said, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Paul ends it with those three. Lord, he is Lord. That's who he is. Jesus, that's his name. Christ, he is the anointed one. He is the fulfillment of everything that the Jews and Gentiles needed, and he did that for two years unhindered. Hey, Triple Eight. 589-8840. Give us a call. Prayer can be hard work at times, and too often we allow distractions to keep us from doing it consistently. Jordan Shambly says when that happens, we need to remember why we pray. He's written an article in The Stand called Three Encouragements to Pray. Jordan brings prayer into perspective and helps make it a priority in our lives once again. If you've been struggling to rebuild your prayer life, visit afa.net slash the stand and sign up for the Daily Stand email at afa.net slash the stand. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Texas Christian University is changing the way it categorizes first-year students. 
Kathy Cavins-Toll, Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs, said its vernacular change is a reflection of their university-wide commitment to inclusive excellence. What's the change? The university is dropping the term freshman and will now call incoming undergraduates first-year students. That's right. Texas Christian University has bowed the knee to the sexual deviancy political agenda pressed upon modern American culture. Parents, take note. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. General Jonathan Wainwright was a POW in a Japanese prison camp during World War II. Camp guards beat him mercilessly. He was starved. One day an American officer arrived with this news. The war is over. We have won. Camp guards attempted to continue their abuse, but General Wainwright stood firm and said to them, I'm in command here. The prisoner had received authority over his captors. Those whom Jesus saves are no longer prisoners of sin. Jesus gives you authority over sin and Satan in his name and by his power. So when the enemy threatens you, stand firm and remind him who's in charge. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 American Family Radio Word of God speak Welcome back. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I'm finding myself in the midst of you Beyond the music Welcome back to Explore the Word. Alex McFarland here and Bert Harper. I want to give the number. It's 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. And I want to remind everybody, we've got a show we do on the weekends called Truth for a New Generation. And it's heard uh, in a number of places on the AFR network over the weekends. Heard early in the morning, like 4.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And uh, it's 1.30 p.m on uh, Sunday afternoon on uh, AFR. But Bert, I've got a very special guest this weekend, a, a dear young man, He's pro- I'm gonna say he's in his 20s, and uh, visually impaired and yet a business owner. His name is Luke Cogdell, and he lives down there in Silverton, Texas, where I preached recently, very wonderful family, just a wonderful godly family. And I interviewed Luke talking about being a witness for Christ, being a Christian, and living his life, running a business, even though blind, and he's, uh, it's great testimony. So it's going to be on the Truth for a New Generation uh, weekend shows on AFR, and uh, listen for my interview with Luke Cogdell. Amen. On Sunday afternoon, right preceding Truth for New Generations is Exploring Missions. My son Nathan and I we do Bible study and interviews. I think you'd enjoy the one we got coming up. And uh, so all that. So if 
if you don't get enough of Alex and Bert during Monday <laughs> through Friday, you got some uh, Saturday and Sunday. Now, whether you want that or not, I don't know, but praise the Lord for it. Hey, Alex, we got people online, so let's go to the phones and All talk right. to Lou in Oklahoma. Welcome, Lou. Guys? Yes, you're on, brother. I just wanted to say that the rapture of Jesus Christ is at hand, and since he is coming soon and very soon, then let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. It makes amen. me think of a song. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the Lord. Devin, do you remember that song? Alex, do you? Yeah. I remember soon and very soon. Uh, and it is, I believe it's very likely we are near the return of Christ, and we want people to be ready. But uh, I appreciate that. You know, Bert, uh, there's been a lot of times in history when the church really did think about and reflect on the return of Christ. And when you think about Jesus coming back, that'll lead you to get your house in order, won't it? It will. But let me remind everybody, we are to be on the welcoming committee, not on the planning committee. <laughs> mm, great point. <laughs> yeah, let's let's just welcome him. Lord, you know, John ended by saying, Lord, come quickly and uh i i don't think that's a bad prayer lou i hey let's be ready and let's get as many other people ready as we can that's why exploring the word that's why we tell folks to get right with the lord just i don't know if we miss a day or not doing that alex and saying trust christ and even now while we're answering these questions uh there's something more important than getting something answered and that is getting your heart right with the Lord. And we pray you would. Thank you, Lou. Mm. And we do praise the Lord. Thank you. Let's go to Texas and talk to Pamela. Pamela, welcome. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I had a question. Um, I was reading in the Word where Methuselah was the oldest man that lived in the Bible. I think he lived like 969 years. Mm -hmm. And my question was, did he get a chance to see Jesus in his lifetime since he was the oldest man living in the Bible? Okay. Well, let me tell you, he <laughs> he got to see nine centuries worth. Now, think about that, 969. I got to tell this story, and it's a funny story, but I had a friend, uh, if Bill Baker's listening, it was him. He is a pastor friend of mine, and, and Bill was telling me he had an aunt and uh, said she was celebrating her 100th birthday and just loved the Lord. And he went to see her on that Sunday afternoon, and he told her aunt, says, I hope the Lord gives you 100 more. And she looked at him says, don't wish that on me. I'm ready to go to the Lord. So 969 is a long time. But, man, uh, listen, I know some folks that's ready to see the Lord. Alex, who all did he see? Uh, during that lifetime. Let me see. Who did he start with and how did it end? Do you, can you give us a little bit of chronological uh, authorship of that? Well, uh, you know, um, Methuselah living nine centuries, you know, he saw a lot of things. Um, the, the caller asked if he would have seen Jesus. Now, there is a an Old Testament appearance of Christ would have is called very often a Christophany, you know, uh, a Christophany. So uh, Methuselah would have been contemporaries with uh, some people like Jubal and uh, Lamech, and uh, he would have been the father of, of Noah. Um, 
there would have been times that Christ appeared that he he probably would have known about it. I don't does a theophany is a, an appearance of God. A Christophany is a specific appearance of of Jesus. And often if you see like the angel of the Lord or the captain of the Lord's host will know that that was Christ. I don't I'm trying to think I don't know that we have we may or may not, but I can't think of a record of Methuselah experiencing a an appearance of Christ. Can you? I cannot. And again, the reason we say that is uh, there may have been more, but it's not recorded in the Scriptures. That's right. the one thing. And, and one of the guys that was contemporary uh, was Enoch. And the Bible talks about Enoch walked with God, and he was not. Now, walking with God is... Man, that is one of the highest compliments that you could ever receive. And it sounds like Methuselah had some good relationship with him. Uh, And so, Pamela, uh, thank you for your call. Keep listening and uh, keep reading that Bible. And those are fun facts. Now, again, they they add to your faith. They do mine. I love these Mm -hmm. fun facts that we find out. And so, Pamela, thank you for reminding us of Methuselah. Let's go to Virginia and talk to Carolyn. Carolyn, welcome. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we sure can. Can you hear me? Oh. Go right ahead, Carolyn. Yeah, you're loud and clear. Okay. Um, Okay, good. Um, So I was just listening to your show, and I was listening about the story of Paul when he told them not to jump ship, so to speak, and, and use the little boats to save them and I was just thinking about you know discerning the voice of God so in that situation like how is Paul so sure that that's what needed to happen because it's not like it doesn't really tell you God told him it's just he just knew that that was what they needed to do well let me say this Carolyn he knew he was going to get to Rome God had already told him that so he had half of that uh, promise in a way already fulfilled in his life already. And so it sounds like there was that renewal of that and God directed him. Alex, would you add to that? Well, you know, let me just say this, and I know this is probably going to sound a little bit simplistic, but do you remember like in Acts chapter 16 and a couple of times in the book of Acts when uh, jailers or soldiers were going to do themselves harm when they thought prisoners would escape? Paul said, no, your life is going to be spared. Do yourself no harm. We're all here. All right. The Bible says that God came to give us life and life more abundantly. God is all about life. I mean, he's about saving souls and very often even about saving lives. And when Paul, you're right, Paul knew he was going to get to Rome. But he says in verse 34 of 28, uh, look, uh, eat food. Not a one of you will lose a single hair from your head. And he took bread and gave thanks to God in front of everybody watching. And altogether, 276 were on board, and they all make it there safely. Um, I do think Paul is speaking under the directive of the Holy Spirit. I do think when he tells them that an angel of the Lord, uh, you know, came to him in verse 23, he was telling the truth. But um, it might have been uh, 75% God's revelation 
20% Paul knew he was going to make it to Rome, and 5% just the boldness and the candor of, a, of an evangelist. Uh, but he was used to inspire the people, hey, we better follow God's man, and if we do, we're going to live. And in fact, what he said was true. They all did live. And again, Carolyn, I'd remind you, he had built that credibility all through this journey again and again, at least three times he spoke. They didn't believe him when he said, let's stay here in, in Fair Havens. They wanted to go on because it wasn't good winter quarters, it says. So hey, he Bert. had built that credibility. God, he had learned to know God. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And Paul, over these years, had learned to trust God and know his voice. So there was an assurance there and uh, no doubt. Thank you, Carolyn. Paul, i got to tell you this. Paul would live 18 centuries before Winston Churchill, but one of Churchill's quotes, I love it, Winston Churchill said, leadership is the ability to hide your panic from the others. <laughs> That, that is, and I think that goes Paul along, yeah, with chapter 28. And yeah. it says, when Paul saw these people coming to meet him from Rome, he thanked God and what? Took courage. So uh, that's a good it, point. That's great, Alex. Leadership is the ability to hide your panic from the others. I think Paul, <laughs> Paul would have given Churchill an amen on that one. I do too. Hey, thank you, Carolyn. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Jim. Jim, welcome. Yes, I just want to make two comments. Number one, out of all the guys I've, I've ever known, y'all are two of them. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Thank you so much. <laughs> have Have you known more than Have you known more than three, Jim? <laughs> no, that's it. But let Let me say this: I've listened to your show for a long, long time, and the Spirit of God is with y'all every day. And I just love it more than you'll ever know. And I just want you to know that I pray for y'all, and I will continue to do so because y'all are men of God. Thank you. Bless you. Mm. Oh, man. Man, Jim, I want to share with you, your prayers are appreciated, and it is needed. And uh, what Paul got, and I know I'm going back to this verse, I think the fourth time this time, when Paul saw those people, he, he noticed what he did. He thanked God and took courage. Jim, your call, we thank God for it, and we take courage in it to follow the Lord. Thank you, brother. Mm -hmm. let's, yes. let's, let's go to Oklahoma and talk to Bruce. Bruce, welcome. Hey, Bert and Alex, good to talk to you guys. Bless, bless you guys. Hey, bless uh, you. I, uh, yeah, my question is kind of just what you guys might think, but, do you think that uh, before the flood, the size of human beings may have been quite larger than we are today? And I'll just hang out and listen on the radio. Go ahead, Alex. I'm trying to read a note here. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, um, maybe, because let me say this. The vapor canopy that encircled the globe before the flood of Noah, um, there are what are called models, M-O-D-E-L-S. A model is a way of trying to understand um, the, the geography and the operation of the solar system before the, the flood. And so they have found fossils. There's one very famous fossil of a dragonfly with about a 36-inch wingspan. So before the flood, um, the, the earth would have been in many ways like a greenhouse. 
Now, some of the long ages, like we talked about Methuselah, how could they have lived so long? Now, don't mean to get technical here, but one of the things that causes us to age and ultimately die is the sh they're part of what makes uh, uh, the human body and the DNA are these things called telomeres, and they shorten and they, they digress. Um, the UV rays of the sun, and really, in a way, almost like an oxidation process ages us. But here's the thing. Before the flood, the vapor canopy up in space, a mile thick of water that would have filtered out the more destructive radiations from the sun, uh, enable people at least to live longer and maybe grow larger. Um, I don't think it would be all that much larger. I know that, um, you know, there were some people of, of stature and, you know, later on Goliath was, was one, you know, what, nine feet, nine inches tall. But um, I, I, I want to say this. I think we learn a lot about the first Adam by looking at the second Adam. Jesus was the second Adam, and Jesus, uh, fully human but fully God. Uh, I think probably the first Adam being really the perfect man before his fall would have, I don't know, six feet, six feet one or something like that. So I think it's possible we have definitely the makeup of the world could have made longer lifespans and larger stature possible. Definitely some fossils show that larger stature of some animals was actual. But did that apply to humans? Uh, I don't know. I, I really think the super tall, nine feet giants, that was the exception rather than the rule. I, what do you say, Bill? I agree with you fully, especially that greenhouse, the like uh, he, the healing that takes place. Hey, we got to pray for someone before we go out. Lyle, I hope you're still listening, from Iowa Call. Didn't want to be on the radio, but he wanted us to pray for the crops there in Iowa. Alex mm. and I being old farm boys, we understand that. Hey, we got about 30 seconds. Could you pray for the crops in Iowa, Alex? Father, I pray for Iowa, for the farmers to have a successful year for the crops. Lord, the, the right amount of rain. Lord, there's drought in Texas and way out west. Help our farmers, especially those in Iowa. And in Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. We thank you. Amen. Lyle, thank you. Write Lyle down and pray for the farmers in Iowa and all the other farmers. We don't know how important they are until we don't have food. Pray for them. Hey, Alex, been good to be with you. Uh, let's tell people about exploring the word, but what's more important? Tell everybody, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.